This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. My name is Y. Can you see me? Hi, I'm here. Now, believe it or not, this has something to do with the sermon. Wait till the end. Okay, that was just something to uh, help the young at heart be entertained amongst us. But I do want to share uh, something that summarizes what today's message is all about. The person I have pictured in the scene here is John Newton. And the story goes of how John Newton, who is the, the, the writer of that hymn, Amazing Grace, on his deathbed, he said these words to his loved ones gathered around him. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Now, our passage today will teach us these two truths, that we are great sinners and that Christ is a great saviour. Now, what we are in the middle of is a story where Mark has recorded what has happened to Jesus. And if you have just joined us, you need to know that at this point of the story, Jesus is heading to his death. He has just been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested. And what we have read is that trial that has taken place before the Jewish religious leaders. We call them the Sanhedrin. And you can see that they are here decked out in their robes, you know, with their, with their sticks, you know, their long beards. And they are having this trial at night, you know, highly unusual. Now, what you need to know about this trial, you can see from verse 55. Verse 55, it says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Now, can you see that this trial is not a fair one? The people presiding over this trial have already decided on the verdict before the trial has even started. They have prejudged Jesus. They have already decided he's guilty and they just want to go through the formalities and put him to death. They have prejudged Jesus. Now, can I just say to uh, anyone who is here and you are here because you are investigating Jesus, you are, you've been invited by your friend, and uh, we are so thankful that you have taken this time to join us. Can I just say, please don't do that. Maybe you've heard stories or you've gotten impressions from you know, movies or even Christian friends, and it's, it's led you to form some idea about what Jesus is like. Now, can I urge you not to decide based on those, as it were, secondary sources, but decide based on uh, who Jesus is, what he's really like, according to the historical accounts, the, the primary sources, uh, what we are looking at today, what his disciples have said about him. So come open 
come ready to learn, come ready to be objectively investigating. Now, please don't prejudge Jesus. Now, the other thing that we see in this trial, you see the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests, they are, they are throwing questions at Jesus. They are laying all these accusations on him. They've brought forth witnesses, you know, and, and they've, they've, they've said all these charges. And Jesus remains silent. He remains silent. Now, that, that's, that's so strange. That's not what you or I would have done. Now, let's say if we are hauled before, you know, our boss or you're hauled before the, the principal and then your colleague or your fellow students, they, they are, you know, accusing you of doing this or that. I mean, what we would naturally do is we would defend ourselves. We would, we would speak up. We would say something. Now, Jesus is silent. And even my uh, young boys that I do a Bible study with yesterday, when I asked them, hey, why is Jesus silent? They were able to answer. They said, it is because Jesus has come to die. This is his mission, and he does not want to defend himself so as to get out of this trial, because this is why he has come. He has come to die, and he is going to go through with this you know, kangaroo court so that it can lead to his death, so that he can lay down his life. Now, there is a point in the trial where Jesus does speak up. And it is where the chief priest says, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? Are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the son of God? Are you the king? And at this point, Jesus answers. He says, yes, I am. And he answers because that is the truth. It is who he is. And he goes on to say, and you will see the son of man, referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, at this question, Jesus gives the truth. He says that he is the king. He is the one who will return as judge, the one who will return and every eye, every uh, person will see his glorious return. And when he returns, he will be the judge. So now these people, you know, the Sanhedrin, they are judging him. But he says, one day you will see me return in my glory and return as the judge. Now, I would like you to reflect on what you have seen of Jesus in this episode. And maybe what would be a helpful thing to do is, uh, you know, use the chat function in Zoom. And if you could just type in what your impression of Jesus is. You know, through seeing his response, you know, him keeping silent. What is your impression of Jesus at this point? If you could just, you know, type in the chat function and then, you know, we, we can just see how everyone is thinking. If you could do that, that'd be great. Can I just uh, encourage you? Yeah. Just type, okay, what you, what you learn of Jesus, you can also just put it there. Okay, this is a way for us to uh, engage and... Uh, share with each other, you know, learning together. Uh, what struck us about this trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin? In the first service, it was just, yeah. So, you know, can I just encourage you? Uh, we want to make this a regular part of our time together. 
that we have a chance to reflect. Okay, thank you for saying that. Yes, thank you for writing. Faithful to God's plan. Uh, Jesus really brave, really calm. Uh, he is obedient. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, in the first service, uh, there were all sorts of answers, but no one had the one that I was uh, thinking. Okay, all these are correct. Okay, all these are correct. Uh, but in this service, there was one person that uh, is in line with what I'm going to say next. Now, the thing that we must not miss is that Jesus is innocent. Okay, all that you said is correct, right? He's calm. Of course, he's obedient, right? He's uh, silent uh, as that lamb led to the slaughter, fulfilling uh, Isaiah 53. But what you must not miss is that Jesus is innocent. Right? He's not guilty of the, the false charges that the people have laid on him. What he has spoken is the truth, that he is the king. He is the son of God. And the high priest takes that to be blasphemy. The high priest takes that to be, oh, you are speaking irreverently. You are insulting God. And it is on that basis that Jesus is sentence. Now we move from this trial to another trial where Jesus's disciple Peter faces his own uh, trial if you like but not before the Sanhedrin but before a servant girl. What do you think Caiaphas will do with this Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, he will get his due, along with all his followers. You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. I don't know what you're talking about. I swear I don't even know the man. You must be one of them. You can tell by your Galilean accent. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And then the crop, the, the crows crop twice. What we need to learn about Peter's denial here is that Mark is not singling Peter out as being the, the wimp, you know, the weak one who denied Jesus. In fact, Peter is the bravest among all of the disciples because the rest of the disciples have already fled far and away. Right? Only Peter has come this close. He's, he's come into the courtyard of the high priest uh, you know, and, and next door is where the trial of Jesus is happening. He's actually the bravest one who has come this close. The second thing that you need to know about Peter's denial here is that earlier on, when Jesus made the prophecy that the disciples would desert him, the disciples would, would fall away, it was Peter who spoke up and Peter who said, no, 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 not I. Everyone else may, may fall away, but I will not fall away. And I wonder if you can relate to Peter's protestation that 
in uh, songs that we sing on Sundays, we often pledge that loyalty to Jesus. You know, Sunday after Sunday, we, we, we say we will be loyal, we say that we will be faithful. Uh, but like Peter, uh, there are those times when we fail Jesus, when before others, fearful of rejection or being thought weird or religious, we keep silent or we deny Jesus. I wonder if you can relate to Peter. I wonder if you think about your own failure, your own times when you have denied Jesus, what comes to your mind? And if you uh, would like to, uh, I want to encourage you to just, just type in the chat uh, what comes to your mind, the, the place that comes to your mind where you remember denying Jesus, failing him. So uh, all, all of us uh, as disciples, even the best of us, we have denied, we regularly fail our master. So please, can I encourage you to, to just type in the chat uh, what comes to your mind? Maybe it was the last time you were in the office. Maybe it was uh, around the dinner table with friends or, or family. Uh, the time that you remember where you have denied Jesus, where you have failed him. Okay, thank you for doing that. Okay, this is just to give us uh, time to pause and reflect. Because what Mark is doing by highlighting Peter is not saying that okay, Peter is this wimp, uh, but rather Peter represents all of us. That we all like Peter. We have denied our master. Okay, uh, thank you everyone for, for, for those of you who have, who have shared. Now, wh whether you have typed it into the chat or not, I hope you can see that we are all guilty. That as followers of Jesus, none of us can claim to have a clean record. You know, that, that, that every time, consistently, we have been perfectly loyal to Jesus. We have not failed him. No, no, we have. We fail. We fail consistently. In the past and going forward, uh, we will still fail him. But it is not just followers of Jesus, his disciples who are guilty. Now, if you are here and you are investigating Christianity, you are not a Christian, uh, once again, I thank you for spending this time with us. But I hope you can see that you are guilty as well. Because if it is indeed true that Jesus is the King, that he is the Son of God, then it means that you have not acknowledged him as such. Uh, you have in fact denied him. Now, uh, all of us, as I said, we, we, have, we are all guilty of denying Jesus. We're all guilty of being uh, unfaithful to him. But what we must learn now is that our denial, our failure can be forgiven. Now, what will happen in a few chapters' time is that Jesus will be uh, put to death. He will be uh, resurrected. And uh, the women will go to the tomb and they will find the empty tomb. And instead of the corpse of Jesus there, 
uh, that is instead an angel. Uh, there's no corpse because Jesus has risen from the dead. And the angel gives this instruction to the women. Angel says to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see, these are words given by Jesus to disciples who have deserted him, who have fled away. But Jesus says through the angel, no, tell them, now that I've risen, I will see you in Galilee. You know, like when phase two happens and we can meet in groups, ah, I will see you in Galilee. We can meet together again. And can you see that, that note of uh, kindness that, 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 that uh, Jesus says to the angel to say specifically, tell the disciples and Peter. See, why is Peter singled out? See, Peter is singled out because of this story of, of his three times denial of Jesus in, in, in such a, a big way, his epic failure. And so Jesus is saying even to Peter, yes, even Peter who denied me, so epically, so such a great failure, even Peter, tell him, I will see him in Galilee. We can be reunited. He can be my disciple. We can be together again. And the question is, why? <laughs> why is it that disciples who fail their master, why is it that we who deny Jesus, we who fail him, why is it that there is forgiveness? Why is it that we are not cast out? Why is it that we are not dealt with as we deserve? Because it is a great wickedness. A great wickedness to deny and to consistently fail the one who loves us so much, who gave himself for us. It is a great wickedness to not acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is, his identity as king as, and as the coming judge. It is a great wickedness. But all this can be forgiven. And the question is why? Why? And the answer is found in what takes place in the next episode. In chapter 15, we read, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests 
had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Yet Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now the thing you need to realize is that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they had no power to put Jesus to death. So even though they found him guilty of blasphemy, they did not have the power to sentence him to capital punishment. Only the Roman governor, Pilate, did. And that's why they bring him before Pilate. But Pilate, you see, he is not interested in their petty religious offenses. This charge of blasphemy means nothing to Pilate. And so in the trial before Pilate, the accusation, the charge, turns into a political one. Jesus is accused of being the king of the Jews. And the implication there is that Jesus is setting himself up as a rival. You know, Jesus is wanting to rival the Roman emperor. You know, Jesus is wanting to topple the Roman emperor. And, and obviously, this is a charge that Pilate has to take seriously. But can you see in that story that even Pilate knew even Pilate could see that Jesus is innocent. And in fact, three times Pilate tries to release Jesus because he knows that it was out of envy. And one of the times when uh, Pilate is trying to release Jesus, he says, what shall I do? But the crowd shout out, crucify him. See, they've been instigated by the religious leaders to, to ask for the death of Jesus. And then Pilate is, is perplexed. He's going, why? Why crucify him? Like, what crime has he committed? But the crowd, I mean, they are in uproar. They, they're full of hatred. And they, they, they are just shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate, you need to understand. He is a political man. And what he wants is that uh, that there be calm in Jerusalem. He doesn't want this riot to, 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 to become big and spill over. Right? He doesn't want to be accused of not being able to keep the city in order. And so he, in order to placate the crowd, crucifies Jesus, sentences Jesus to death. Now we are told as well in uh, this account that during the Passover, uh, Pilate, you know, he will do something to uh, give some goodwill to uh, the people. And on this day, he will release a prisoner. And this was one of the ways he was hoping to release Jesus. You know, he says, oh, you know, on this day, you know, it's my custom to release a prisoner. Shall I release to you Jesus? But the crowd, they have already been stirred up to ask for the release of Barabbas instead. And we are told that Barabbas, 
Barabbas is in jail because he has actually led a rebellion. Barabbas is in jail because he has actually uh, been part of a murder. Now, do you see what's happening here? That Jesus, who is accused of leading a rebellion, but which he is innocent of, he is sentenced, and instead the person who is actually guilty, guilty of leading a rebellion, guilty of committing murder, the one who is guilty is set free. And Jesus, who is innocent, will be crucified on a cross. The same cross that if Pilate had managed to release Jesus, I mean, that would have been the cross that Barabbas would have been crucified on. And what we have here is that even though Barabbas is the one who is actually guilty, it is Jesus who takes his place. And what is happening here is a picture of what the death of Jesus accomplishes. That like Barabbas, we are the guilty ones. Like Barabbas, we are the ones who have actually committed wrong, sinned, denied, failed, transgressed. We are the guilty ones and what is happening on the cross is that Jesus takes our place. He is the one who is sinless, the one who is innocent. But the innocent takes the place of the guilty. This, this is what Jesus has come to accomplish. Taking our place so that there can be that forgiveness. Bearing on himself the, the penalty of our transgressions, of our sins, so that there can be that reconciliation, that reunion. In my place, condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Now to my Christian friends, I hope through this passage we are reminded just what a great savior we have. And that through this passage as well, we have been given time to reflect on our consistent failure. Now, I want to urge us that there are times we may be tempted. Times when, like Peter, our failure is so epic that we think that the whole thing has failed. I wonder whether you've been in a position where, where you know you have failed. I know that I failed and it's been an epic failure or it's been a chronic failure, a failure of Jesus over a long period of time. And we think that because of our failure, that Jesus has failed. No, no. Remember the truth of what we're supposed to learn from this passage. I am a great sinner. But Jesus is a great savior. My failure does not mean his failure. I have failed. I have failed and I will fail and I'll continue to fail. But his work of saving us, accomplishing salvation, purchasing forgiveness, that has not failed. Because in my place, condemned, he stood. Hallelujah. What 
a savior. Now we saw in the trials of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, before the uh, Pilate, that Jesus remained silent. And he remained silent because he did not want to defend himself. He did not want to get out of this trial because he had come to lay down his life. He had come to die in our place. And that's why he remained silent. But do you realize, friends, my Christian friends, my church family, that he is silent no more? Because Jesus, who is at the right-hand side of God, and with every accusation that is brought before God, every one of our failures and transgressions, every one of this, when it is brought before God, Jesus is silent no more. To these accusations, which are true, Jesus is saying, I have paid for that. I've paid for that. I have paid for that. I've paid for that. I've paid for that. I have paid for that. I have I have paid for that. I have paid for that. He is silent no more. And so friends, I am a great sinner. But please, let's hold on to the great truth that Jesus is a great saviour. And to my non-Christian friends, if uh, you're still here with us, uh, once again, thank you so much for spending this time and, and lasting to this point in the talk. I wonder if you are thinking what your response to Jesus ought to be. You've seen him, you've seen a, a snapshot of who he is, you've been told things about him. Can I help you to see that the right response to make, if what we read here is true, and, and I just want to urge you to, to openly, objectively investigate whether these things are true. And, uh, and to see that the right response, if these things are true, to turn to Jesus, to acknowledge him as your savior, to acknowledge that you have sinned, you have denied him, you have failed, but to embrace him as the savior that you need, the savior who is enough. And so let me just say that there are Three things we can say to God. Three things we can say to Jesus. We can say sorry. We can say thank you. And we can say please. To say sorry. Sorry for living life my own way. Sorry for not acknowledging you. Sorry for, for my hostility towards you. Sorry for rejecting you. And then to say thank you. Thank you for sending your son Thank you to Jesus for taking my place. Thank you for purchasing, winning, accomplishing salvation and forgiveness for me. And then to say, please, to please help me follow Jesus. And when I fail, not to look at my failures as defining me, but please help me to embrace and to trust your work your accomplishment, your salvation. And if you do that, no matter how much, how great a multitude of your sins are, how great your guilt is, when you trust Jesus, it will be 
as if they totally disappear. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.